In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Freakin' Mirpod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Hi guys, like most of you, I have found myself with some extra time on my hands these days, so I thought I might throw out a bonus episode this week. There's a lot of history in the Sierras, so I thought I might be able to do some research and devote an episode to strange places or weird happenings in the Sierras, maybe giving a brief sketch of multiple locations or legends, but then I stumbled across an absolutely bonkers story. So instead of a sampling of topics today, I'm going to tell you about the strange, violent, and ongoing story of the Wiley House. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muirpod.
Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. All right, let's get to it. What I'm about to tell you is a story shrouded in myth, legend, and rumor but there seems to be a verifiable factual timeline of events behind it. How does this relate to backpacking in the trail, you ask? Well, I'm not sure, other than its geographical location and a connection to a rescue in the Sierras. So let's just call this a zero day, a break from the trail to get rested up. Trust me, go with it. Now the exact location of the Wiley House is a guarded secret these days, but it's located somewhere in an unincorporated area in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas in Northern California near the town of Truckee. There used to be a community called Verde Hills there, but no longer. The house is connected to one of the more notorious episodes of the Sierras. It was built by J. Alfred Birdwell in the 1840s, and Birdwell, while not an original member of the Donner Party, did spend a considerable amount of time in the rescue operations for the doomed travelers. He actually stayed with the Donner Party survivors during and after the second rescue attempt, but then he himself barely survived, struggling with the snowy conditions and lack of food. He eventually left and made it back with the fourth and final rescue attempt. This heroic attempt at helping those who needed help the most would, ironically, haunt Birdwell for the rest of his life. You see, there are whispers and rumors that the only way Birdwell survived and made it back is because he participated in cannibalism. And not only that, there were rumors that he had taken a shine to the taste of human flesh. Yes, Birdwell would go on to purchase a large chunk of land in the foothills of the Sierras. Yes, he would discover gold, become wealthy, and build a community for farming and mining that would see an increase to almost 500 residents. And though this was the frontier, where through any number of events or tragedies, people would go missing occasionally, the rumor persisted that Birdwell had not lost his unnatural taste. And that's why people disappeared. And then one day, near the approaching new year and dawn of the 1900s, a young girl disappeared. Suspicion immediately fell upon Birdwell. The residents of Birdwell Valley, the community Birdwell had created, descended upon his house and burned it to the ground, Birdwell inside. 
he did not survive. Wanted to create some separation between its namesake. The community was renamed Verde Hills after Birdwell's niece and husband arrived to rebuild the burned down house. The community's industry shifted from mining to hemp growing and bootlegging during the prohibition years. The town prospered to 2,000 people. Life in the small community was going well. And then prohibition ended thereby crashing the town's bootlegging industry, and artificial materials were developed that proved to be strong competitors to the hemp industry. And then, just when things couldn't get any worse, they did. The hemp farms in Verde Hills caught fire, and so did the rebuilt house Vera Green and her family were living in. When the smoke cleared this time, all 13 members of the Green family had perished in the burning house. Decades later, forensics revealed that 11 of the 13 died by gunshot wound. The community shrank back down to about 400 people after this latest tragedy, but the story does not end here. Eventually, the house was rebuilt, and after a few decades of apparent normality, it was passed down to Veronica Wiles and her son Aaron, who moved in and started living in the house in 1987. Also moving in with them was Marty Lipton, was Veronica's boyfriend. Now Marty was not a good person, not by a long shot. Marty was a domestic abuser and a heroin addict, and evidently Marty beat and molested nine-year-old Aaron repeatedly until the boy struck back. Care to guess what happened? If you said Aaron set the house on fire, you're right. The house burned yet again, this time with Marty inside. On this occasion though, there was no fatality. Marty was severely burned, but he survived. And after Veronica elected to stay with Marty rather than side with her son, Aaron was removed from the house and spent the rest of his childhood in the foster care system. But the story doesn't end here either. Aaron's mother, Veronica, would perish at an early age due to either heart failure or car accident, depending upon which source you believe, and Aaron decided to return to the house that was now his. The only complicating factor was that Marty was still living there. As you might imagine, this did not make for smooth sailing in the Wiley house. After multiple confrontations between the two, Aaron disappeared suddenly. The subsequent investigation did not go well either, as a local sheriff's deputy and an FBI agent would also go missing. Eventually, investigators would storm the house and discover eight bodies inside, including Aaron, the sheriff's deputy, and the FBI agent. Lipton would try to kill himself with a shotgun, but only succeeded in disfiguring himself. He would later die in prison by heroin overdose while waiting to go on trial as a suspected serial killer of more than 30 people. Following this latest bizarre and tragic chapter of the Wiley House, the subsequent owners tried to set it up as a haunted house attraction. But guess what happened? Yep, it burned down. It was rebuilt once again, but the owners are now keeping it closed to the public and out of the limelight, hoping for a new chapter of uneventfulness for the house. That's it for the Wiley House for now. I hope you were as captivated as much as I was by this crazy story of 150 years of fire, tragedy, and murder all swirling about this property. Tune in next week as Rob, the trail correspondent, tells us about his past travels and future plans. It's going to be a great episode. Music
And speaking of strange, I'm going to let Dr. Bob take us out today with a couple of stories of his strange encounters on the trail. Dr. Bob, take it away. Hi, my name is Bob Shattuck, and this is uh, coming to you from the streets of San Francisco, another episode of John Freakin' Muir, and this is, uh, I would call this uh, my two uh, strangest moments on the John Muir Trail. You know, it's weird, you can walk around San Francisco or anywhere these days and basically be talking to yourself and nobody looks at you twice. Uh, so there you are out in the middle of nowhere and you're, <laughs> you're walking along and one time I'm out there and I've come over, what is it, Mather Pass, beautiful day, I'm heading south, done it a few times and uh, I get down at the base of Mather and I see this figure way off in the distance and uh, it's kind of like one of those mirage things like is it is that a person is that you know what what is that coming at me you just don't know and you just don't know and uh so there i am oh there's a fishing pole interesting fishing pole and strange okay sorry I'm walking along there on the JMT going south over Mather Pass and down and I see this figure way off in the distance and it gets closer and closer and I'm all excited because, you know, it's been one of those days where I really haven't seen anybody and uh, this person gets closer and closer to me and, uh, you know, I get more and more excited and suddenly, you know, within... uh, maybe 40 yards of me I can finally recognize it's a guy and he's dressed all in blue jeans he's got a he's got blue jeans on and a blue jean jacket and it's one of those blue jean jackets with like a red quilt on the inside and he's got a hat on and a kind of a you know once I get to him he's got like a really you know kind of a scruffy beard like he hasn't been out too long but he's got a scruffy beard and he also, instead of a backpack, or instead of any kind of pack at all, he's got two of these large cowboy canteens. They're kind of, uh, I don't know if you know cowboy canteens, but they're kind of flattish, roundish, and uh, covered in red plaid. Red plaid. Anyways, and, uh, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And, and the guy just, you know. I shouldn't even say, hey, how you doing? Because the guy never even gave me a chance. Because when he was maybe 20 yards away, he just totally veered off the trail. And I just watched him kind of in amazement go around me. And I'm like, hey, you know. And he's not saying anything or looking at me or anything like that. And I, well, that was kind of weird. You know, and uh, later that day, I actually made it all the way up to the... Taboos Pass Junction, I guess, up at, uh, heading up towards Paiute Pass there, and there's a ranger station there, the Bench Lake Ranger Station, and I just happened to catch the ranger, and, uh, I told him about the guy, and he's like, yeah, I actually checked his permit a couple days ago. He must be going really slow or something, but, uh, the guy had a permit, and all he had in his canteens, one had water, the other one contained... A whole bunch of flour. So, you know, the guy was just 
out there. Oh, he didn't have cowboy boots on, by the way. He had on a pair of, like, brown workman's, you know, leather boots. Kind you'd see at some construction site or whatever. That was, uh, that was probably one of the most surreal things I've ever seen. Uh, and one other time I was stuck at, uh, where was I? Oh, I was at, uh, I was at Red's Meadows, going south again. And I met this couple, uh, and they were, uh, you know, older couple, probably in their 70s, obviously retired, you know, nice and fit, but not going too fast. And and I told them what I was doing, and they go, oh, they'll probably, you'll probably meet our friend uh, who's going to meet us there at the Duck Lake Junction. And I thought, oh, great, you know, I'll meet somebody at the Duck Lake Junction, uh, one of their friends, and... Uh, so I took off and thought nothing more about it the whole day. And uh, by the time I got to the Duck Creek Crossing, we'll call it there, uh, I was ready to ready to camp. I was tired. I didn't want to go any farther. I'd had a whole day, and that's one of those stretches where there's no water. So I was thirsty, hungry, generally just not interested in moving any farther. So I walk up a ways. There's some camp spots there off to the right of the trail up on the, the hill, I guess. Not the greatest spots anyways, but you know, there's a couple spots up there. So I get up there and I'm, I've got my tent set up and uh, I've got my tent set up and I'm cooking some dinner and, and no sooner do I start cooking dinner and it's, it's halfway there and I'm all excited. And uh, this guy, appears out of nowhere you know and they told me he's kind of like a mountain man's you know so as soon as i saw him i had this picture in my head and i was like this is the dude and uh, instead of being cordial and you know the kind of guy that would probably you know be meeting up with two elderly two elderly folk all dressed in their nice uh, expensive uh, outdoor gear this guy is just like he's you know he's my size Big beard, totally gruff looking, you know, uh, wearing all green, had green pants and a big green, had a big green sweater on that was like a big, probably, I don't know, wool. It wasn't really like, you know, lightweight. It wasn't UL or anything. It was, uh, but anyway, to make a long story shorter, the guy immediately rips into me and he's like, it doesn't, he doesn't offer up any kind of hello, how are you, what you doing here? He just goes off that I'm in his camp spot and I'm being really nice by saying that he was swearing a little bit because yeah, he was swearing like crazy and jump kind of jumping up and down and really excited and upset that I was standing in his campsite, which of course I couldn't, you know, I had no idea that he was even camped there because there was nothing around. And finally, <laughs> after you know, after 30 seconds of wondering what the hell am I going to do, you know, with this guy yelling at me to get the fuck out, you know, of his camp spot, uh, which kind of made me like, dude, this isn't really your camp spot. I'm here first. He uh, points out that his backpack, his rucksack was up a tree. And sure enough, he had hoisted his backpack, his sack up a, up a tree uh right near me so you know i guess it was his campsite but he was just so and uh you know the more he kind of yelled at me the more the, the angry the sort of the angrier i got or the more adrenaline i got as i might have <laughs> as i might have mentioned i was feeling kind of tired 
but this guy just like got me all excited and I was like okay this is probably just what I need you know to to get me going I've had that happen a couple times on the JMT some little moment where suddenly you go from being absolutely absolutely dead tired to hey I can put in another 10 real fast or five or three or whatever it is so uh you know, I wasn't really trying to be annoying or anything, but I was pretty much ready to like eat my uh, eat my dinner. So uh, I I just made the guy suffer while I cooked the rest of my dinner or let it boil off the rest of the way or up or out or and, uh, and then I ate a little bit. But then I was just like, I mean, the guy was circling. He was just I felt like I was kind of a you know I was the little rabbit with the with the wolf circling me. And I eventually just, you know, packed all my, undid my, you know, unpacked, I packed my tent, you know, broke the tent down, put it back in the, I did everything kind of like a whiz bang boom, just like threw it all in the pack, took my, took my lunch or my dinner and, and I threw that, I could barely eat that, so I walked off and chucked that in the bushes and just prayed that a bear would come looking for it later that night. And, uh, you know, and I got out of there. The only good thing to it uh, was that, yeah, I'd had, I went from like no energy to lots of energy, lots of adrenaline pumping. And as I say, I was right there at the, uh, at the, uh, Duck Lake Junction. So I just, I powered, I powered all the way, you know, on energy and anger all the way to, all the way to purple and then to duck. All the, I mean, not duck, but uh, all the way to uh, the beautiful, wonderful Virginia Lakes where I was just, you know, thrilled to be. And it was uh, turned out to be a beautiful night. And uh, I don't recall if I ever ran into that couple, that old couple again. I don't think I did, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad I didn't because I would have had some choice words for them in there in their uh uh as to their the quality of their friends that was uh probably the weirdest well we'll just say another weird moment on the john muir trail all right this is uh bob shattuck and thank you for listening thank you for tuning in and always remember the trail is the trail it doesn't care if you want to go downhill doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite the trail is the trail Embrace the sock. Join Waypoint TV's Great Outdoors Month celebration presented by Battery Tender every Tuesday and Sunday in June from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Enjoy fishing and hunting content that will inspire you to get outside, but also to take action in preserving the land and water that allows us to do what we love most. Tuesdays and Sundays in June starting at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.